Recovery Elevator, episode 353. You know, you really can't stay sober unless you're connected. I, unless you're, there might be a few exceptions of people that can do it without, you know, connecting or groups or whatever. But I, I am one of those people that needs to be connected. And so it's worked for me. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Jan. She's from Connecticut and took her last drink on February 1st, 2020. Great job, Jan. And hey guys, I want to let you know about our upcoming calendar of events. We've got some great things coming down the pipeline. On January 1st, we've got Restore. This is our intensive online dry January course. We meet 15 times in the month of January, and this is a great way to get the accountability needed to ditch the booze for January, the rest of the year, or maybe for good. Registration opens Wednesday, December 1st. January 15th to the 23rd, we're in Costa Rica for our third alcohol-free sober travel trip. This trip is full, but I think there's only two names on the waiting list. Email Kate, K-A-T-E, at recoveryelevator.com if you'd like to get on the waiting list. Now, I am excited to announce this next one. On Saturdays at noon Eastern for eight weeks, starting February 5th, we've got our first ever alcohol-free sober ukulele course, and no ukulele experience is needed. In this course, we'll cover how to ditch the booze, why music, sound, and vibrations help rebalance us, and of course, you're going to learn how to play the ukulele. Registration for this opens January 7th. Then March 31st to April 2nd, we'll be in downtown Denver, Colorado at the Hilton Garden Inn. We did rework the pricing to make this event more affordable, and now this three-day conference-style event is $495. Registration for this event is now open, and see the Recovery Elevator webpage for more information. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. And before we go on, let's hear from Cafe RE. For years, I tried to control my drinking on my own, but I always felt alone and like I needed something else. When I discovered Cafe RE, I realized there were so many people just like me looking for a better life. Cafe RE is a private, unsearchable Facebook group that provides 24-7 access to a community of people whose goal it is to live a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find authentic connection, love, and encouragement. With supportive and educational chats hosted throughout the week, there are plenty of opportunities to connect with others on the same path. Cafe RE is a place where we grow and learn together. And with golden rule number 22, we have a lot of fun while doing it. For just $24 a month, you'll have access to the community, all of our online chats, the opportunity to attend in-person meetups, get discounts on sober travel trips, and get the chance to be assigned an accountability partner if you'd like. 10% of monthly membership even goes towards our service project, where we partner with nonprofits to help those affected by addiction. Head over to recoveryelevator.com and use the promotional code opportunity to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. We hope to see you there. Speaking of 10% donations from Cafe RE fees, last month we donated $5,149.64 to the McShin Foundation in Virginia, which aims to lessen the stigma and provide access to recovery resources for those who need them. So far, we've donated $15,094.73 to organizations and nonprofits geared towards helping those affected by addiction. Thank you so much for being part of Cafe RE. This is something that we should all be proud of. Okay, let's get started. 
Again, for episodes in November and December, I'm giving you three things to try in each episode that'll give you the best chances of staying alcohol-free this holiday season. Here are the recommendations from last week's episode number 352. And for a deeper dive of these recommendations, go back and listen to the episode. Number one, come up with a detailed craving game plan. Number two, from FOMO to JOMO, the joy of missing out. Pick an upcoming event that's stressing you out and sit it out. Number three, pick your holiday theme song. Pick a song you love and listen to it once daily. While listening, envision your alcohol-free life. And I'll do a recap of all of November's suggestions in the first episode of December and a full recap at the end of December. In addition, all of these are located in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. All right, this is a big week. For many of you, the past 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 plus Thanksgivings involved alcohol and lots of it. And for many, we've reached the conclusion that alcohol didn't add value to Thanksgiving nor the holiday weekend. In fact, alcohol made Thanksgiving and the weekend much worse. For some, a lot worse. Perhaps it's the added layer of shame and guilt knowing this is getting out of hand. For some, maybe you said or did something you regret at a family gathering. Regardless, alcohol is taking away from this family holiday and is slowly taking control of your life. Now, I am almost certain that if you remain alcohol-free through Thanksgiving, you'll have a better time and you'll be at more peace with yourself overall. Of course, there will probably be challenging moments where you'll want to drink or hit the eject button. The key word there is moments. Those will pass. Now, what I am certain about if you remain alcohol-free during Thanksgiving is you'll have more mental space and clarity. Now, here's what I mean. I remember the last Thanksgiving before I quit drinking. I had been ruminating over how I would manage my alcohol consumption on this day for a couple of weeks, but the day of, it was nearly constant. I recall dedicating a significant amount of mental energy towards coming up with a plan on how to hide my drinking, when to drink, how much, at what time, and what I drink. Nothing too hard, of course. And then, when I could finally cut loose by myself. Let me say that again. I was concerned with how I was still going to get drunk, but conceal the fact that I was lapping the pace car or drinking way faster than everyone else. I didn't want to black out too early, so I had some silly plan of drinking only two beers per hour. Beers, not wine or hard alcohol, until dinner was served. And then I told myself, once dessert was served, all bets were off and it's go time. In addition, I remember coming up with a believable story as to why I had to leave shortly after dinner so I could get the party going the way I wanted to, by myself. If I recall correctly, I did keep it buttoned up for the most part during this Thanksgiving, but it wasn't fun at all, as you can imagine. Mostly because it was so mentally exhausting to pull it all off. The point I'm trying to make is when we make the decision to not drink, an unbelievable amount of mental energy is released. You may have heard me saying this is less about staying away from alcohol and more about creating a life that doesn't require it. When we're drinking, there is no space mentally for this new life to emerge. The space or blank canvas isn't there. Now, here's an asterisk for this week and the holidays. I do believe it's more about creating a life where you don't need alcohol, opposed to staying away from it. But if this is your first AF Thanksgiving or holidays, simply staying away from it should be a part of your plan. Okay, team, here's the plan for this week. Number one, pick your Thanksgiving Day beverage of choice and enjoy. 
I want you to have a beverage in your hand at all times when it comes to game day, Thanksgiving day. Obviously, I'm recommending an AF beverage. So having a glass, bottle, or can in your drinking hand does a couple of things. Number one, it satisfies the unconscious part of you that needs to be drinking or holding something in that type of gathering or party environment. Number two, most won't offer you a drink because you've already got one. And for this special day, which is geared towards connecting with family, give yourself a pass on the calories. Who cares? I remember one year, I went big with Sprite. Number three, if you've always got a beverage in hand and you're drinking it, you're going to be hydrated. I once read that 80% of daytime fatigue comes from a lack of hydration. The human body, which consists of about 50 to 70% water, will thank you. And the human body, at baseline, consists of 0% alcohol. Again, the body will thank you. And I'm certain Bobby Boucher would agree with all of this. Okay, the second thing I recommend is one minute of intense mindfulness. I know I got a few eye rolls there, but this is important. For one full minute, use your five senses to explore your immediate surroundings. What do you see? Any sensations on your skin? What do you smell? Is there something nearby you can touch? What are you listening to? Again, this is 60 straight seconds of intense mindfulness. Now, part of this exercise is a test. I want you to make a dash or a tally with a pen and paper every time you think about alcohol in those 60 seconds. Is drinking over Thanksgiving or, in general, consuming your thoughts? Another part of this is starting a mindfulness practice. When we hear people meditating and about mindfulness, we often think of long durations of like 15, 20, maybe 45 minutes to an hour. But you have to start small and build up to that. I think you'll be surprised that 60 seconds, about 5.5 breaths, is quite long to be with you, yourself, and your thoughts. The third holiday tip is a sticky note. Write a reminder, affirmation, or goal on a sticky note and place it somewhere where you'll see it each day, preferably early in the morning. I got a listener from an email one time that said this post-it note, the sticky note saved her butt a couple of times. She saw it right before she was going to drink and then didn't drink. And who cares if a loved one or family member can see it? This is a good thing because they want to help. Side note, pun intended, did you know 3M didn't purposely invent the sticky note? They were trying to create an adhesive, a strong adhesive, and wrote the project off as a failure because it wasn't that sticky. Lo and behold, this weak adhesive became one of 3M's best-selling products. Why did I include this in today's episode? Because what you may be labeling as a failure right now in your life, for this podcast, it's probably a drinking problem, will open many fruitful doors in the future. So those are the tips I want you to explore this week. And we'd love to hear from you also. Email info at recoveryelevator.com if you're trying these, if they're working for you, or if there's something you're doing that is helping you right now and you want me to share it with the audience. In the show notes of this episode, thank you Liz, is the full list of holiday recommendations thus far. Let's not forget what this week is about. It's about being thankful. It's about expressing feelings of gratitude towards yourself, others, and everything in the universe that makes life possible. The caveat is being thankful for the things the way they are. The thinking mind creates a flurry of tasks or actions that need to take place before we can be happy. However, true gratitude is unconditional. It isn't housed near words such as if, when, or after that. It's feeling thankful for the fact that you are life, 
that you're alive and breathing, regardless of the things that you'd like to change in your life. When we are drinking, we miss the biggest miracle of all. It's a subtle feeling that's with us at all times, but alcohol, before, during, and after we drink, covers this up. This is the miracle of life. When we look up at the stars on a cloudless, moonless night, a sense of the miraculous begins to emerge from within. We know, at our core, we are part of that. You'll recognize the chances of you standing below the infinite expanse of plasma that makes up you and the universe is incredibly small. You're part of the greatest dance of all time. You've already won the lottery called life. Think about everything that had to take place for you to be here in this moment. Your ancestors, your parents, siblings, community support, friends, family, animals, the ocean, mountains, and stars have all helped shape and give you life. Of course, it's not always perfect, but know through imperfection we can strive for a better life. Of course, there are changes you'd like to make and will, but be thankful for these adversities that have prompted you to be open to these changes. If you're listening right now, you are trying. You are making an effort. You're doing the work. I want you to say thank you to yourself right now because we both know you'll never give up. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's mini pep talk. I've enjoyed writing them as well as the music. You can get this segment of the podcast for free at recoveryelevator.com forward slash meditations. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. If you do hit a difficult patch this holiday weekend, again, download just this segment, go to a safe place, a closet, or your room, and listen to just that part. I know that you can do this. Now, before we hear from Odette and Jan, let's hear from Exact Nature. We are thrilled to partner with Exact Nature because we are committed to the same goal, to help you quit drinking. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products can aid your alcohol-free journey. If you struggle with sleep, cravings, mood swings, and high stress levels, learn more about how Exact Nature can help you at exactnature.com. Recovery Elevator listeners will receive 20% off their orders by using the code RE20. That's RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you, Paul, for an amazing introduction. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Jan to the podcast. Jan, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really happy that we're chatting. And let us know when the last time you had a drink was, Jan. It was February 1st. 2020. And I think I is, is my days are correct. I should, in two days will be nine months, I think. Congrats. How do you feel? Oh, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Just let us know a little bit about yourself, Jan. Let us know where you're from, how old you are. What do you like to do for fun? What do you do for a living? Do you have a family? Just a little bit about yourself. So I'm 71. I think I'm the oldest person in all of Cafe Ari at mm-hmm. this point. I may not, maybe not be, but I'm divorced. I have a son, Sam, who's um, 30, just turned 35. I'm from Connecticut. I've been divorced for, I don't know how many years, 15 years, maybe. I'm a massage therapist and a health coach, which I'm not really practicing that, but I can still say that. I once in a while, I'm a substitute teacher. And one of the things that I do also is take care of other people's animals, mostly dogs. So, um, and I have three older brothers. And what else can I tell you? 
I've been living in Winchester, Virginia for the past maybe 20 years or so. I see your um, one of your cute pets in your Zoom profile picture. I know we were talking briefly before we hit record, but sounds like we're both pet lovers, dog people. And I'm really happy to hear that, you know, that's part of what you like doing. I think it's really healing and they're really energy to be around. So that's pretty cool. And then Jan, let us know about your relationship with drinking, you know, let us know when you recall your relationship with alcohol starting, how it progressed and what got you to decide to quit and share your story. Okay. So Adette, this is, this is, I'm trying really hard since I'm so much older than lots of your guests. I have to really, you know, fine tune this, but I would say that I didn't really start my drinking until my parents sent me to school and overseas and I went to Italy and I would live with an Italian family and you know what Italians like to do. They love their wine. So every day, you know, every at noontime, we always had wine, always. And I really liked that. <laughs> it was uh, fun and I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, that wasn't, that really wasn't a problem until I, I transferred to the campus in England. And that's where uh, I got really crazy. So where we would meet was like a, um, it was like a restaurant, hotel, and, and they'd serve drinks there. This is school I'm talking about, too. And we would have our little drinks there. And I just got with a really wild crowd. And we, oh, my gosh, some of the things we did were crazy. But that, that really, it really amped up things. Um, and I'm talking not just drinking, but all, all kinds of experimentation with drugs and things. When I left there, I went to the University of Arizona, which is definitely definitely a party school. And I got into lots of craziness there. I, I'm, I have to admit my drinking was a lot of fun then. It wasn't uh, problematic. I mean, maybe it was, but it, I didn't think it was. So this is where I've been looking through my notes and trying to figure out because I've lost some years. Oh, yeah. I did go to Mexico several times. And that's where I met a bunch of, uh, you know, the Jet Setter group, you know, passing around pills and drinking and whatever. And I just went um, a little berserk there. And I, I just remember coming back from Mexico and have had lost like 15 or 20 pounds in a couple of weeks. I didn't, I mean, I didn't eat anything because I, I had these, uh, they're called black beauties and they're, it's basically speed. So I did that and I drank and I ended up with many problems uh, associated with drinking. I got hepatitis, which hepatitis A, which isn't as serious, but it's still not good. And oh my gosh, I had a lot of very, very horrible incidents that happened to me in Mexico. When these complications were happening, were you connecting the dots or realizing that a lot of this had to do with your consumption or were you just not really thinking that you had a problem at the time? I was too much having, I was too much into the party mode mm -hmm. to even con seriously consider stopping because I got hepatitis and you can't drink. I mean, it's a liver disease. And I remember the doctor saying to me, oh, you're fine now. And as soon as, you know, and usually you, someone in with their right mind would go, okay, it's, it's time to stop drinking now. I mean, just so I just continued and I went on trips to Puerto Rico with a friend who used to tr make me tr take me traveling, but I didn't know. 
to answer your question, no, I did not take it seriously I at all. I, I had many more years of drinking ahead of me. What age around were you when you were spending uh, this time in Mexico? And like, in terms of real life, how was your life progressing as well? I know um, you're divorced and you have a son. So did you get married and you felt like the drinking progressed? Or how was that progression of life with the parallel of progression of drinking? I went to work on a ranch in, at Valley Ranch in Wyoming, which was really fun, actually. And, um, and I met some people that had a place in St. Thomas. I went to St. Thomas and I worked down there for two or three years. By the way, all these places that I worked at resorts, I was a bartender, I was a hostess, I was a travel agent. Everything I did was in, in the resort. Uh, I worked as a manager of a country club in Vermont. But when I, so that's where I met my husband um, down in in my backup to St. Thomas. And it's really hard for me to consolidate all this in like 10 minutes of of history. But so, yeah, so I met my partner who loved to drink also. And that's one of, see, I married him. I see, I spent, we got married like 1983. And that's when I realized that this is ridiculous. I mean, he was a really a, more of a binge drinker. I was a daily drinker. And um, so I finally realized this is just not fun. I mean, the hangovers and the feeling terrible about myself and my marriage wasn't actually the best. So that's the only thing we had in common was drinking. So I finally started to go to AA and I did AA for four I stayed sober for four years or so. And if you were going to ask me why I stopped going to AA, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I was doing really well. I just think I got tired of it or sick of it or or something happened where I thought, okay, I can drink again. Did you initially start going on your own or did was someone, maybe your husband oh, no. or people around you were saying, I, we think you have a problem. Did you take this upon yourself? That's a good question. I'm thinking maybe it was a combination. I, I was seeing a therapist because I really was having a rough marriage. He was very phys- uh, mentally abusive, phys- not physically so much, but, and he, he sort of suggested it. He, he must have, because it's been a while. It's been a long time. So I think it was a combination of my feeling terrible about myself and, and the, the therapist and oh yeah probably the psychiatrist and I started having I mean I started having a lot of problems with mental illness and Mm -hmm. anxiety and panic attacks and all kinds of stuff which is really important for me to bring up because I I think that I, I ended up being bipolar bipolar and I I think it was induced by alcohol because I you know I I don't have that problem now but I was really a mess for a while. After I got divorced from my husband, by the way, he didn't like the fact I went to AA, couldn't stand it. So why, um, if you if you mind me asking why? Yeah, why? Well, I think he was jealous. I mean, he was for control. You know, he wanted to control me, so he didn't like the fact I was going off to these meetings, and probably I was probably feeling a lot better. Plus, he lost his drinking partner. Yes. You know, this is something very important and, and it, it could be a whole other episode, a whole yeah. other conversation. But a lot of the times when we change existing dynamics, you know, it is hard and it not only with drinking, you know, if we start maybe even 
pursuing a new hobby or, or setting new boundaries around whatever, you know, there is this definite resistance because there is this loss of whatever was in this case, like you said, drinking buddy. And also if he also had an issue with drinking it, a lot, some projection may be happening. So that, that had to be hard. And, and you still managed to, to string, you said four, four years. Uh, yeah, I did. Yes, I did. Somehow or another, I did. Mm-hmm. I know you said you stopped going to AA and don't really recall exactly why, which I think is, is common. You know, a lot of thoughts around maybe I think it's fine. I don't need it anymore. But how do you recall drinking again? And did it get bad fast? Or how was your back to drinking? No, oh, back to just normal drinking, thinking I can drink. I am like, I am fine. I'm just, I don't need those stupid groups, those stupid 12-step meetings. I'm just fine. I can do this by myself and I don't need to, and I'm, yeah, I don't need spot. You know, I was like so bashing AA. See, that was 20 years ago. I did a lot more drinking and it, it didn't get worse. It just stayed the same. Mm. There, there can be a, maybe even like even a decade where, it just was what it was. And was there like a particular event or something that you recall that made it start progressing? Or when did you actually recall it getting worse? Did you have another attempt at quitting? How did you get to start quitting again? Well, okay, so this is we're talking about years of I mean, I, I went back to school somehow or another. And I got I got my bachelor's degree. I got, you know, I don't even know how I did that. I must have not been drinking much then. And then I, I worked at various jobs with people with um, behavioral kids with behavioral disorders. And then I worked with a crisis unit and I was really, I don't remember drinking much, but I, I ended up by uh, spending a lot of time in psychiatric hospitals. So that's why I think probably it's all very hazy because I was really a sick person. I was not so much, you know, you could say suicidal, but I wasn't really, I just was out of control, self-harming. And I just remember spending a lot of time in hospitals and them saying, oh, you're bipolar and you better not, you know, you shouldn't be drinking and all that stuff. And obviously I shouldn't have been drinking. I, I remember leaving the hospital and thinking, okay, I'm out of the hospital finally. And I, I just remembered this. I was driving I was staying at my uh, mother-in-law's house and and ex-mother-in-law at that time, and and I I stopped by a store and got some beer on the way and went off to my car broke down. So I that was weird, and I stayed at her house. I, they I ended up back in the hospital again. I just couldn't stay sober, no matter what I did. I just in and out, in and out of the hospitals, and I counted up the treatment centers, and that. That is really confusing to me because I went to at least four or five different treatment centers. And the last the last treatment center I went to is the best one. It was in Arizona, Sedona, Arizona. It was called Desert Canyon, and which unfortunately is closed, but it was the best thing I ever did. It was, we you know, taking nutritional supplements and doing yoga and hiking and meditation and the acupuncture and sweat lodges. It was really fantastic. Did you go to these treatment centers from a 
mental health standpoint or from a drinking standpoint? Like, were you checking in due to your bipolar or that diagnosis or because you wanted to quit drinking? What was the reason why you were in there? Did the doctors think it was about the drinking or about the bipolar issue? I think, uh, I think it was a combination. Unfortunately, I can't be more clear, but I know that that's fine. And I feel like sometimes a lot of people who have co-occurring disorders and don't want to still deal with the drinking, you know, will go in and say, I'm here because I'm bipolar. And then obviously you don't drink while you're at the treatment center. But then when you leave, we we've had a few interviews where, you know, they, they think that they can drink and not, it not affect um, their health, but it was part of the problem anyway. So I'm just curious if at this point, doctors and you knew that not only were you having mental health and self-harm struggles, but it was also clearly about the drinking. Like, was there any point where it become, became evident to you where you were like, it's the drinking thing? Well, I think, I think after you've been to like four or five treatment centers and hospitals and stuff, you gotta, you need to come to the realization that there must be a real drinking, you know, this is not just about mental health. This is clearly a drinking problem. You mean like some of these some of these treatment centers? I would the one I went out in California, and I someone else was someone else was on here that went to the exact same place in San Clemente. It was weird when I was listening. I heard that she had gone to the same place. I left there, and I think on the plane home, I was drinking again. So I don't think you know. I think and I I see this in um, other people that I know that are having struggles with not staying sober. I think this mental health, this mental illness is really makes it very difficult to stay sober. And I, I, I mean, I, I just have a few people that I know um, very pretty close to that can't stay sober. And I, I do think it's really important to, you got to address the mental illness as well. The depression and definitely people with bipolar, you know, when they get all when they're in the high state, it's usually more happens when they're in the high state and they, they think that, the you know, they could conquer the world and, you know, they can do anything. And I think that's what causes them to drink. So it was a comp- definitely dual diagnosis. And did you, was it just this back and forth of getting sober, drinking again? Did you have a moment where you hit rock bottom? Was that in February, 2020 or what other significant, okay, uh, like cross points in your journey? Did you meet before your latest sobriety date? So my son who has schizophrenia, speaking of mental illness, I spent a lot of time dealing with him and his illness. And by the way, he's doing much better. But he comes over just about every night and I'd be drinking every night. And he he's like, Mom, you know, I hate it when you drink. You need to stop drinking. You need to go to AA. And I said, I'm not going to AA. I don't, I don't like it. I'm not going. So the Desert Canyon was not an AA program. It was more like rational recovery, smart recovery. It was, and I like that and it works for me. So I said, I can't, I, just, I don't like AA. And then his his best friend's wife was struggling with drinking and she she mentioned cafe re recovery elevator i'm like okay so i had that in my head and i thought okay that's great it's working for her 
<laughs> but I don't know about me. And it took a few, maybe a few months. And I decided, well, you know what? I'll give it a try because this is ridiculous. I'm hiding bottles. I, I even pretended to take an abuse, which is something that makes you really sick if you drink on it. And I would pretend to, you know, I would put the, empty the bottle of you know, I emptied the abuse bottle out and I put Tylenol in it and I, he, I'd take it in front of him. And um, so he thought I was, I mean, I was not drinking. And uh, yes, I was. I was hiding stuff all around the house. So it was really exhausting. I mean, talk about exhausting. It, that's what I couldn't take it anymore. It was, you know, and I was, he doesn't drive. And he'd come over for a few hours and I'd drive him home. I'm sure it was, you know, I would have gotten a DUI. I'm very lucky I didn't, or, or unlucky that I didn't. I don't know. But so I couldn't take it anymore. And I thought, well, I'll try this Cafe RE Recoveries. You know, why not? And that that's, it's February 1st was my last day of drinking. And I have been going to those meetings and getting very involved with it. And, you know, you really can't stay sober unless you're connected. I Unless you're, there might be a few exceptions of people that can do it without, you know, connecting or groups or whatever. But I, I am one of those people that needs to be connected. And so it's worked for me. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to give an advertisement for Recovery Elevator because it's it's really, it's changed. It's a change. It's changed me so much. It's helped me so much. Jan, yeah. that's, so, that's so great to hear, you know, and it's not just Cafe RE. I mean, it is just what you said. You nailed it. You know, it's that connection. And I do feel as someone who did go to treatment as well, and it did really put me on the right path. Um, I have a lot of great things to say about treatment, but I also know that not everyone has a privilege to attend. And also not everyone has great stories about it. You know, the the stats are not very high in terms of how many people stay in recovery. I think it is because part of it is leaving this safe bubble and going into the real world where maybe you don't feel exactly what you're sharing, you know, as connected. You know, it feels almost like two different realities while you're in there. And then when you get back out, I feel like that for me, at least, was very challenging. So I do think that that connection, I mean, is something we talk about here on and on and on. And and you may have already also been ready, you know, because if you think about it, you'd been going through the field research cycle for years and, you know, you yeah. found something that, that felt good at the time and you tried it and it stuck. So I just, I really want to commend you for continuing to try because, like you said, there are many people like you, and I was one of them at the beginning of this journey where it was restarting and restarting and restarting and restarting again. Oh, gosh, it's no kidding. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's so tiring. But one thing is the book that I really like is We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan. And mm -hmm. that wor that really worked for me. And I I need to get the I, I just listened to the book. I'd like to get the printed version because what she says in there is about finding the right finding the room that works for you, you know, and once you find that room, stick with it. And that's what I had to do. I you know, and I am not at all bashing AA because it's it's helped you know millions of people, but it just didn't work for me. That's the main reason I kept drinking because I could not find anything that worked for me. So yes, so I'm very happy that I found this. And I, 
you know, I think the whole thing of taking care of yourself and the meditation I'm working on, I haven't really done much of that, but, but the, but, you know, exercising and eating, eating a, a good diet. And there's just so many things that you, you know, to stay healthy in recovery. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I love that advice. You know, it's it's finding that broom that fits you. What 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 a great way to say it, right? And I appreciate you saying that you're not bashing AA. You are just doing what's true to you. And I feel like that's something that everybody should follow. We we do live in a society and most of us are in the US listeners and people who come on the show, the US, Canada, you know, most of us do have the ability to pick. You know, there's a huge resource encyclopedia at this point there's not just cafe there are multiple other groups there's aa there's smart recovery there's one-on-one therapy it truly has always been for me about honoring what feels good to you and also staying open to trying new things because maybe aa doesn't feel right today but it could feel right a year from now you know so staying curious Mm -hmm. like that and making sure that you're checking in with yourself and having that self-awareness and honesty i really do think it pays off because once you do find your room and you do feel connected to something, it, it can really be a game changer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. That's and Jen, it. it's been some time now. So how was early sobriety compared to now? What What is still hard? What has changed? Just walk me a little bit through just how your life has changed since February 1st, 2020. Well, so, uh, so here's the thing. I, this is another thing, Laura McCown, I can, I should meet her someday. Cause I, I feel like I really understand what she was saying, that she didn't feel comfortable being around anybody that was drinking. So in other words, no, you know, no, I'm not, well, first of all, I'm not going to go to a bar. That would be stupid, but you know, I just, I'm not, you know, I'm just not even around it. I have not been around it. And I think I could probably start being around it soon. But I think see, keeping myself, you know, a good distance from that. I mean, I can get triggered just watching TV. And, and there's, you know, a lot of people drinking. I, you know, I can fantasize about that. I um, definitely, um, I'm, I'm not obsessed with it now. I, you know, the, in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm not going to drink tonight. How am I going to do that? What, you know, it was, so I don't, I'm not in my head obsessed about it anymore. And, you know, I'm, you know, someone could, it could happen this afternoon. I could take my dog for a walk and I could run into someone and they might be drinking a glass, like my neighbor, for instance, might be drinking a glass of wine. And then, you know, and then I'll look at the wine and I'll smell the wine. And so I, it could trigger me for sure. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm always going to, have that happen once in a while but so you know i'm just filling up that space in the evening with drinking i mean i still do the same activities i still watch my shows on tv but now well actually i'm eating popcorn or something which is okay it's okay i'd rather you know eat popcorn or whatever i'm eating snacks than filling it with with alcohol and and I got that calm app, which I think is really good. Um, and I would love to do more meditating. Um, I I fill my days up with other things and thoughts besides drinking. I'm doing a lot better. I'm not so crazy anymore. Like <laughs> the, the mood swings and stuff. I really was a crazy person. I think. You know, I feel like it's important to 
share this point about the obsession just not being so overpowering because I think it's a transfer from obsessing over when we're going to drink to then obsessing over we're not going to drink today. Like for many of us, it does feel pretty consuming. Even when you stop drinking, just the thoughts around staying sober, it is emotional labor in a way. And, and it is pretty draining. So I like normalizing kind of these early stages and how, of course, it's amazing and you're doing something wonderful for yourself, but it does kind of transfer that, you know, that mental energy the obsession stays pretty heightened, even though you're not drinking because you're trying so hard to not drink. And then as time goes by, I think, and I hope it, it gives, you know, some encouragement to people who may just be starting that that does get quieter. And I'm always someone who still needs to be mindful of my thoughts because I know how quickly that obsession can grow again. That's why they say that sometimes relapse is, happens way before you even take a drink. So I always try to be very, very mindful, but I do think that that headspace, you know, does get some sort of relief after some time. And like you said, you're able to think about other things and read other things and listen to other podcasts that aren't about how to not drink. You know, you're able to kind of free up some of that labor that we do up here in our minds. So I'm really glad to hear that you have indeed noticed that. You know, something that I just, um, I have this book that Oh my gosh. Well, my handbook from Desert Canyon and I opened it up. Well, I do open up once in a while, but uh, one, I wanted to share a few things. I'm not going to go through the whole, this craving intervention plan, but I just want to tell people it's normal to crave. First of all, if you have a problem with drinking or you're an alcoholic, whatever you want to call yourself, it's normal to have that craving and to accept the fact that you're going to have cravings. And then just, and then, The number two on that was not to act on the craving. And, you know, and then it goes into, you know, like if you're in the grocery store, you know, for instance, you know, and you're you're just going crazy. All I can think about is, oh, I got to get something to do. Well, then just get out of the grocery store, you know, change your physical setting. And then it goes on to different things you can do. And one of the important things that I have to do is think of the negative consequences. Like, okay, so I buy that bottle of wine. Then I'm going to go home and eat, eat, I know what bottle of wine probably won't be enough. And so I have to think of the negative consequences and then the benefits um, way outweigh the, the using. And I, I found a sheet of paper that was from when I was in treatment and it listed um, all the benefits, you know, all well, the, what are the benefits and the positive reasons for not drinking, negative reasons for drinking. Uh, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of, you know, done a lot of work on this stuff. And then one of the things that I really like is that we learned was this mastery imagery where you step into your ideal self and you think of, oh, how happy I'm going to be when I'm healthy healthy and not waking up with hangovers. And so I just like have my little image of my ideal self and that, that happy, healthy self. And then, and then, you know, then there's other things you could do besides thinking, besides drinking, which is exercise or, and then at the very end, and I, I didn't go through all the the points, there are 10 points, but, but the very last thing was to do anything else that would work. So whatever works for you. I mean, if you're craving something, go out, take a walk, go to the gym. If you don't like going to the gym, go to, I mean, watch something on TV that would put you in a better mood or read or whatever. 
there's lots of things you could do besides drink, right? Yeah. Um, and you know what, Ed, Jen, I don't know. I don't know if you were thinking about this or you have thought about this as you share, but you're basically reading from one of the manuals and tools that you got many years ago. And it's yeah. a lot of it is clicking right now. So I also think that a lot of the times we don't give ourselves credit when we fall off the wagon or relapse or whatever you want to call it, because we think that it was all in vain. And I feel like a lot of the times those years and that time, we're just planting all these seeds and learning all these things. And then we may reap the benefit later. And this is like the perfect example, right? This is a tool that maybe after you left that treatment center, you still drink, but now you can still benefit from what you learned there. And I think that's really cool. It, it's absolutely. It's, yeah. It doesn't have to be immediate. And I do feel like sometimes we are very hard on ourselves. And it's something that I've also been trying to talk about on here more and more is to just not be so mean to ourselves and so judgmental and so harsh because it does really affect us in the long run. And, you know, you see people posting on Facebook like, oh, I'm so bad. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm just such a terrible person. And, you know, and, and um, especially with um, on Facebook for the Cafe Ari group and people are really great about um, helping that particular person that's posted and is feeling that shame and guilt and blah, blah, blah. And, and then people react like, oh, it's okay. I've been there. We've done it. Just, just field research. Just keep going. Keep stacking up those days. You can do it. And it's, it's, it's great. You know, I, I do, I do think it's great that people are, are so supportive of each other, but one thing I really do like about this cafe um, recovery elevator is that when on these chats, people all the time are just maybe it's their first day or you know, they had a lot of days and they drank and they're feeling awful about themselves and shameful. And, and I think it's, it's wonderful the way people can support that person and say, hey, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. Don't worry, you're you're not a bad person. You know, you could call it a disease. I don't I don't know what to call it anymore <laughs> because there's so many different theories about it, about you know, drinking and is it a disease or is it not a disease or is it is it from trauma or is it not from trauma? Yes. But whatever it is, it's a problem. <laughs> yes, yes. And sometimes we get so caught up in wanting to know what the label is, wanting to know if we fit in it, wanting to know what caused it. Like you said, was it trauma? Could it have been prevented? You know, all these things. And and truly, you know, that's those are just answers that we may never even be able to find for ourselves. So I really do think that learning about our past is important, but also really focusing on on other things versus trying so hard to to find these answers that sometimes, like I said, sometimes they they won't come and more focusing on what kind of outcome am I looking for? You know, what type of life am I living and what kind of life would I want to live and really try to make decisions that can help us get closer to that. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's really cool, Jan. And you know, other than Cafe RE, have you found any other things uh, that you incorporate that really help you just with your momentum on this? I know you like eating well, and you've mentioned yoga a couple of times, meditation, but any other tools or things that you really benefit from? Well, I said yoga, but I had my knee replaced like six months ago. So my yoga is a little problematic right now, but 
No, I definitely hiking is is my all time favorite thing, which which I I can do now again and hanging out with my dog, taking him for walks. Um, although he's he's almost he's pretty much blind now, so I I have to be as as you know his eyes. But um, and also, what else do I enjoy? I love listening to audiobooks. Oh, I'm just completely addicted to that. I love it. Um, sometimes I listen to I've listened to some Quitlet books, but I have to mix that up um, with fun stuff. And I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I have a lot of I am totally ADD, by the way, and <laughs> too many notes in front of me. But oh, there we go. Okay, so I do go to the gym. Yeah, and you know what? I just um, photography. I love photography. I love to take pictures. And I think I gave you some ideas. Yes, yes. I, I love all of these, you know, and I do feel like they really tie in with, you know, hobbies, how you like spending your time enjoying life, which is the whole the whole point, you know, I really think that someone who's sober and miserable, that that's not the that's not the goal we're trying to achieve. We're trying to really get back to a place where we are not drinking and we are also really liking how we're spending our time now. So I really love hearing this from you, Jan. And I know we could talk forever, but we have reached the rapid fire round. So if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabulous. Are you ready? Wow. Did it, did it go by that fast? That it's fast. Okay. <laughs> if All right, you I'm could, ready. Okay, ready? If you could talk to Jan on day one or young Jan, what would you say? I'd say, Jan, listen, you... <laughs> You are a beautiful human being and don't forget it. And people love you and you got to love yourself. You're, you're okay. Just the way you are. You don't have to lose weight. You don't have to do this. Just be yourself. That's what all. book? I know you said you loved books. What book are you reading right now? Oh, what book am I reading right now? Okay. What I have to look that up. I just finished a book. You caught me, but no, I got my audible. It's called the silent mother. And it, what is, is it a novel? <laughs> yeah, it's a novel, but I, I just, I, I really like um, Kristen Hanna. So I just finished a book by her. Homefront was called. Love that. What is your favorite ice cream flavor, Jan? Oh, I knew you're going to ask this, Odette. And I was like, I, I like a lot of different kinds of ice cream. But I was like, okay, she's going to ask you that. What do you want? And I'd say coffee, almond fudge. I, I mean, that might be a good one there, right there. Coffee, almond fudge. That sounds delicious. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I would say that you will be so much happier once you get rid of the booze and it really opens up a whole new world of of things that you didn't imagine i mean it just it opens up that hazy stuff and you you'll see clearer and you do you want to be part of life again i don't know that's that's you know you'll be able to concentrate better and well, for, for me, anyway, I just, it's so worth it. You make new friends and you won't feel so ashamed of yourself and you'd be happier. Oh, yes, Jen. Thank you. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own, you may have to ditch the booze if line. Well, and then I thought about this one too. 
<laughs> and I thought a million different things. But I thought after you've been to like all these treatment centers, do you, th- you think maybe possibly you could possibly have a problem? I mean, after five treatment centers, do you think maybe you have a problem with alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Jan, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your time and for sharing your story. I really appreciate you. And I know I'll be talking to you soon. So thank you so much. Thank you. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to share something with you all. A couple of weeks ago, we had our second annual regionals event. This event was basically a virtual Zoom conference. It was a two-day event. And the theme that we chose to focus on was moving forward in acceptance. You know, acceptance, I feel like, is one of those concepts that is really easy to understand, but really hard to actually live by. And during the opening ceremony of this event, I read a passage and some very wise words from someone that I've mentioned on here multiple times, Melody Beattie. So I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit of that because I felt like it was really powerful and it's something that could benefit us all. So here it goes. It says, surrender to the moment, write it out and through for all it's worth. Throw yourself into it. Stop resisting. So much of our anguish is created when we are in resistance. So much relief, release and change are possible when we accept. We waste our time, expend our energy, and make things harder by resisting, repressing, and denying. Repressing our thoughts will not make them disappear. Repressing a thought already formed will not make us a better person. Think it. Let it come into reality, then release it. A thought is not forever. If we don't like it, we can think another one or change it. But to do that, we must accept and release the first thought. Resistance and repression will not change a thing. They will put us at war with our thoughts. We make life harder by resisting and repressing our feelings. No matter how dark, how uncomfortable, how unjustified, how surprising, how inappropriate we might deem our feelings, resisting and repressing them will not free us from them. Doing that will make them worse. They will swirl inside of us, torment us, make us sick, make our body ache, compel us to do compulsive things, keep us awake, or put us to sleep. In the final analysis, all that we're really called on to do is accept our feelings by feeling them and saying, yes, this is what I feel. Feelings are for the present moment. The more quickly we can accept a feeling, the more quickly we will move on to the next. Resisting or repressing thoughts and feelings does not change us or turn us into the person we wanna be or think we should be. It puts us in resistance to reality. It makes us repressed and eventually it makes us depressed. Resisting events or circumstances in our life does not change things, no matter how undesirable the events or circumstances may be. Acceptance turns us into the person we are and want to be. Acceptance empowers the events and circumstances to turn around for the better. What do we do if we're in resistance, in a tug of war with some reality in our life? Accepting our resistance can help us get through that too. Acceptance does not mean we're giving our approval. It does not mean surrendering to the will and plans of another. It does not mean commitment. It is not forever. Acceptance is for the present moment. Acceptance does not make things harder. It makes things easier. 
Acceptance does not mean we accept abuse. It does not mean we forgo ourselves, our boundaries, our hopes, our dreams, desires, or wants. It means we accept what is so we know what to do to take care of ourselves and what boundaries we need to set. It means we accept what is and who we are at that moment so we are free to change and grow. Acceptance and surrender move us forward on this journey. Force does not work. See why I needed to share? I have so much to learn, team. I'm just glad we're in it together. Just remember that you're not alone. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We have to take the steps back up. We can do this. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. People often ask me, what's the one thing I can do? My response is always the same. Burn the ships. thinking.